Today on the Andrew Cooperwriter Show, Bashir continues his quest to punish Kentucky Department of Fish and Wildlife Resources for standing against him when he wanted to replace the head of the department. The UAW union strikes are having ramifications on Ford's battery plant in Michigan, which has been slowed. How will this affect Kentucky's Ford battery plant that is being built? I'll go over that. Then finally, a Fayette County School Board member apologizes after he utters a racial microaggression. What did he say? Well, we'll be going over that and much more today on the Andrew Cooper Rider Show. Before we dig into it, please make sure you like, comment, share, and subscribe. As always, you can email the show, reach out to us uh, with any tips or stories you want covered at info at theandrewshow.com. Once again, that's info at theandrewshow.com. Also as well, I've been receiving a lot of event requests. People wanted me to go places, to speak places. Um, you can issue those requests. You, it's best if you email them. If you message me on Facebook, I don't always see them. I have multiple, uh, obviously, Facebook messaging threads, my personal page, and then, of course, my public pages. And so I don't always get Facebook messages. So the best way to reach me and get a good response would be to email me at info at theandrewshow.com. That's info at theandrewshow.com. And as always, you can uh, follow the show on all major podcasting platforms, including Spotify, Apple, Amazon, Google, iHeart, Pandora, whatever other ones. Please make sure you can follow the show there. And if you are listening to this in the podcasting platform, make sure you leave a five-star review because you know this is absolutely an amazing podcast. And you want to leave those reviews. But in all actuality, please leave your reviews. And if you have any comments on the show on Spotify, you can uh, leave comments for me on what you think about the show. And as well, you can email me comments that you have on the show. If you see things you want me to improve, feel free to email me too as well. So without further ado, let's dig into it. So recently here, I believe... Uh, would have been yesterday, Daniel Cameron issued an opinion from the Attorney General's office, once again admonishing the Bashir administration for its treatment of the Kentucky Department of Fish and Wildlife Resources, which I'll call the DFW from here on out, because who wants to say that mouthful? And before we go into the opinion, let's go over the feud that's been going on between the DFW and the Bashir administration ever since Bashir has taken office. And to understand how a governor feuds with an entire state department, um, you need to understand how the DFW is funded, its unique autonomy from the rest of government because of how it's funded and, and how just in generally it's ran. So the DFW is funded through two main sources. The first is the fish and wildlife tags and licenses that hunters and anglers purchase in order to legally be allowed to hunt and fish on state and federal lands. And the second is from a, a kind of a federal source, funds collected up by the federal government. So uh, a little while ago, I believe back in the what 40s, 50s, the federal government started uh, this fund. And every time you go to purchase a fishing pole, tackle, guns, ammo, camo, things that are used for hunting, fishing, camping. There is a, a tax that you don't see. It's paid between the wholesaler and the store itself <clears throat> that pays an extra kind of like excise tax on those items. That money then gets put into a federal fund that then gets dispersed out to the states. But in order for the states to receive the fund, they have to have a department of fish and wildlife. So like a department that runs that and that money that comes from the state can only be spent 
on conservation efforts can only have been spent on, you know, public lands, hunting lands, fishing lands, wildlife management, those types of things. That is the only way those monies can be spent legally. And if you spend it another way, you'll lose your federal funding. So this fund is, is funded completely by the DFW is completely funded by hunters and anglers. It pulls no money out of our general fund, out of our general tax dollars. It is completely funded by those who use what they manage. The, uh, you know, the public lands, hunting, fishing, camping, those types of things. It's a pretty unique way to fund something. Of course, I actually wish more of our government was funded this way because it creates an incentive, a profit incentive for the DFW to be managing that money well, but also to be encouraging people to get outdoors, encouraging people to have these lands to get to and encourages them to have the lands in the first place and to have well-stocked, well-managed lands because if they want to continue to exist and if they want to continue to bring in resources. They have to be providing a good product that people want to use. And this is, like I said, this fantastic way to fund a government entity in my humble opinion. Now, how's the DFW run? Well, it's run by a board of, of nine that are sit on a commission. They get elected to four-year terms. And then that board of nine, then they hire the commissioner, which is the head of the agency. So those nine commissioners that are elected every four year or nominated rather, and they're nominated by the licensed hunter and angler. So every four years, there's like a district meeting. There's nine districts. Uh, so nine different areas. There's a district meeting that any licensed hunter or angler is allowed to show up to. They're allowed to vote in. And then that nomination is put forward to be approved by the governor and then the Senate. And normally those nominees are always confirmed by governor and Senate outside of some crazy situation where there's some really disqualifying thing. Pretty much they kind of don't have a choice. And so the board is then, therefore, because it's funded by themselves and, of course, it's elected by the people who fund it, um, it's very autonomous from the state government. Well, issues began when Bashir was first hired or hired <laughs> when Bashir was first elected. Issues began when it came to renewing the current commissioner, Rich Storm's contract. He'd been the commissioner for some time. They're renewing his contract and Bashir refused to approve it. In fact, he even went as far as to stop payment on his paychecks. And, and Bashir made up whatever reasons he wanted to, but widespread speculation is that Bashir owed something to a campaign donor, to a campaign helper. Understand that many department heads all across the state government are just that are appointed by the governor are often just people who for our donors, fundraisers help Bashir get elected, uh, movers and shakers in politics. And so, you know, we saw this with the workers comp, of course, uh, generally a department that doesn't get a lot of attention, but of course, during COVID we saw that being ran. And a lot of people find out that's being ran by somebody who has absolutely no experience at all in workers comp or that field. And, you know, there's some speculation over who really bumbled that, whether it's Bashir refusing to work with him or so on and so forth. But, you know, these are how people get appointed, too. And so speculation is that Bashir had promised somebody that commissioner spot and he needed to follow through or else he wouldn't receive their support. So the Bashir admin, here they go. They refused the contract. They refused to even issue paychecks. And so the commission launched a lawsuit, which ultimately was dismissed with them winning. And part of the reason why is Bashir's dad, um, actually, he issued an opinion when Bashir's dad, Steve Bashir, when he was AG, he actually issued an opinion that the commission can appoint and hire whomever they want to to be the commissioner that falls solely within their purview. 
Now, most recently, this feud has continued, but most recently, uh, this feud has manifested itself in the form of contract awarding. So, you know, funds like DFW or the road fund that are kind of independently funded. So like the road fund is funded in large parts by federal and state uh, gas tax dollars. And so it's supposed to only be spent on roads, of course. And so because of that, um, they have to they, they have to follow certain procurement laws. Uh, but Bashir's financial cabinet um, started putting down more just across state government started putting down more restrictions. So there's a, a laws on how contracts had to be awarded, publicly bidded, so on and so forth. But the Bashir administration, the finance cabinet will go through and they'll create what's called a master contract. So pretty much they'll go through and, you know, if you need legal work or HR work or something like that, well, they go through and they form these master contracts with providers of these services, plumbing or something, I guess. And that has already negotiated rates in it. And then these departments can choose to go ahead and just use those master agreements uh, uh, in order to get things done. Well, for some reason, the Bashir administration has decided to require the, the state departments to go get three bids before they're allowed to use the master agreement. And so they're requiring them, go out, go get three bids. And then uh, after you've gotten those three bids, you can choose to go ahead and use the master agreement. Why? I don't know. A lot of people could say, well, it's for fiscal responsibility. But I've I've watched the contract review committee's meetings. I've heard them talk about it. Fiscal responsibility is not the top of their list. They hardly ever give the contract to necessarily the lowest bidder. Um, and you've already negotiated these master agreements. If they're not good negotiations, well, that would then fall to the Bashir administration to do a better job negotiating those contracts. And so the DFW was like, look, we're following the law but we're going to use these master agreements. We're not going to go out and find three quotes for, uh, you know, the simple things that we just need to get done. We're just going to use the master agreements. That's part of the reason why the master agreements are even there because sometimes you have one-off situations or immediate needs and going out and getting three quotes is cumbersome and creates bureaucratic hurdles that end up actually costing taxpayer a whole lot more money and can, cost us services too as well that the government otherwise would provide. You know, we need plumbing done. Well, I got to go out and bid it three times. I can't just call it the plumber. It already has an agreement. You see where I'm going with that. And so Bashir administration said, look, we're not, we're not going to pay your, your contracts. The cabinet, um, the finance cabinet has said, we're not paying out uh, Kentucky department of fish and wildlife resources. Um, if they're not going to follow our new rules. And the Kentucky Department of Fish and Wildlife then went to Cameron and said, look, we're looking for an opinion here. Is this something legally Bashir can do? Well, Cameron issued an opinion, making it very clear that Bashir is wrong, that the legislature even recently passed laws to make sure this was clear and that Bashir requiring these funds that he doesn't have control of and, and dictating their financial whatevers is completely out of uh, out of line. And this is what we see from Bashir often. Any department, whether it is uh, the Ag Department, the Treasurer's Office, the, uh, um, of course, the, the Auditor's Office, the Secretary of State's Office, uh, you know, any, you know, Kentucky Department of Fish and Wildlife, whatever it may be, all, any funds that Bashir doesn't have control over, he tends to sue on and sue often. And this is what's most unfortunate, is this is probably going to lead to 
a lawsuit in the courts where our state tax dollars will be spent against other sort of tax dollars in this case, because they're coming from, of course, the Department of Fish and Wildlife. But just importantly, the citizens' resources are being used to fight each other. I mean, they might as well just throw our own money at each other and, and fight over these things because that's what they're doing. They're just, Bashir's constant lawsuits of other state funds is, is literally the most least fiscal conservative position to have. This is, he's literally spent hundreds upon hundreds, millions of dollars suing that then people had to spend millions of dollars back and they're both spending our money. This is absolutely, completely ridiculous that this is what Bashir does when he doesn't get his way, but this is what we've come to expect. Just our money constantly being wasted away. And speaking of our money being potentially wasted, coming up, the Michigan Ford battery plant is slowed as UAW strikes uh, cause issues for Ford's future in electric vehicles. We'll go over what that means possibly for Kentucky right after this short break. So right now, the United uh, uh, United Auto Workers Union is on strike, of course, against auto makers across the nation. I'm sure you've heard about it, various strikes going on. We haven't seen a strike of the Ford plants here in Kentucky, but we're seeing strikes across the board. And there's some key things that they're looking for. Uh, apparently, they want 36-hour work weeks, a 40% increase in pay, which, you know, wouldn't that be nice? But anyways, um, but they also want, and this is key to understand when it comes to these electric vehicle plants, they want... All new, all the new electric vehicle plants, battery plants, parts distributors, all those to also come into the union as well. Right now, the electric vehicle portions of the uh, auto industry is not uh, of the people who otherwise are unionized. They're currently not unionized in those plants. And if they do become unionized and end up on these same contracts, this will become an absolute disaster for Ford and others. Why? Well, Tesla, Tesla isn't unionized and Tesla also makes better margins than all other car manufacturers. I'm saying they make double digit margins and all other car manufacturers are lucky to be doing six or 7%. And a big part of the reason why Tesla can do that is because they don't have this union cost. I mean, just think about it. You have a business, you're in a competitive market. You got to try to get your prices low. You got to attract in investors to keep going. You have to deliver profits, of course, to your shareholders who originally put in their capital and their money to fund these types of things. You've got to pay people, obviously, too, as well. And so if you're trying to operate with 36-hour work weeks and 40% increase in pay, and then you're out here competing against somebody who has none of those constraints, well, it's going to be very hard to compete. Like I said, Tesla isn't unionized. That's part of the reason why the Biden administration is going after Tesla so hard recently is because with the strikes going on, one of the arguments back from these uh, uh, auto makers uh, on the electric vehicle unions is that, well, Tesla isn't unionized. We can't compete. And so uh, that's why the Biden administration is coming in, putting in pressure, but also that is affecting Ford's potential future in electric vehicles. And here we have Michigan. You see, in Michigan, Ford is also building a battery plant. And Ford is actually building a battery plant there. The one here in Kentucky is a partnership between them and SK Batteries, which is a South Korean company. Uh, the company, though, they partnered with up in Michigan is actually a, a Chinese Communist Party company, uh, a battery manufacturer out of China that's controlled by the CCP there. And uh, they're up in Michigan. Now, originally, this battery plant, they're trying to get built in Virginia, but 
Governor Yunkin there refused to do the deal with them because of the ties to the Communist Party. And so they took it to Michigan. Well, now that plant has been severely slowed down in construction and Ford has cited uh, unknown futures uh, in the electric vehicle industry as the reason why. Something very disheartening to hear to Kentucky, who is really banking on this plant being built, while at the same time we have given them quite a bit of money. But if you think, well, our plant should be safe because the Kentucky taxpayers have given Ford $410 million, almost half a billion dollars to build that plant, that is with $250 million of it cash already given up front, and the other almost $250 million will be cash as well, but I guess on the back end. So if you think, well, we've given them money, so of course they're going to continue to build this plant, don't be so certain because the Michigan, the state of Michigan, its taxpayers gave Ford a billion dollars, one billion dollars to build that electric vehicle plant there to, to build a, <laughs> a Chinese Communist Party battery plant in Michigan. The taxpayers there gave Ford a billion dollars to do it. And so if they're willing to slow down the factory to building to a crawl as they try to figure out what their future is in electric vehicles, uh, and Michigan gave them a billion, you better believe this will happen also in Kentucky. Now, this could be a ploy by Ford to indicate, uh, to, to kind of have some leverage with those state governments. And what do I mean? Well, obviously Detroit, Michigan there, auto manufacturers there. And if Ford is saying, look, if, if these UAW contracts, if this is what we agree upon and you force us to unionize in electric vehicles, well, we might just stop building these plants you've given us so much money for. What a black eye that will look like for the leadership of the state of Michigan that taxpayers gave a billion dollars to a factory that isn't even getting built anymore. That would certainly look really bad. And that will cause the lawmakers and state leaders in Michigan to put pressure on the UAW to remove the electric vehicle point. And maybe that's part of it. And the only reason why they haven't done the same thing here in Kentucky is because the Ford plants here in Kentucky, the, the normal Ford plants like up in Louisville, they have not gotten the issue, the call to go on strike. And so Ford is not pausing or halting or slowing the building of the battery plant here in Kentucky. So it could be just a ploy from Ford in order to apply pressure to Michigan. So what you could see as if the Ford plants here in Kentucky do go on strike. Well, then you could see that build also being slowed over in Hardin. I'd expect it to be the case. But the question becomes still, what does this mean for our future? I mean, Ford right now is losing $3 billion a year on their electric vehicle plans. And this just goes to show how untested this market is and how competitive it's quickly becoming which makes sure bets like giving $410 million to Ford, big old company to build a battery plant, don't look so sure. Outside of questions about things like, um, you know, the power grid, raw materials, what's the uh, cause of, of these cost of chemicals here in Kentucky? What's the, the waste situation going to look like there? Um, how will we get uh, supply lines secured? And, and the list goes on and on. You know, how many electric vehicles are really going to be sold? How big is that market really? 
How big is it really, especially as you have competitors coming along, especially as you talk about Ford, they build those bigger vehicles. You know, people who typically buy bigger vehicles aren't caring all that much about the environment in the first place. And on top of that, Ford is going to have to drive down the cost of their electric vehicles in order for it to become a real option to the average American in the first place. If your choice is between a gas vehicle and an electric vehicle, and one's 40000 and the other one's 60000 it doesn't matter how much you save in fuel. And you could argue about how much you're going to save, not to mention the cost of replacing the battery. But anyways, it doesn't matter how much you will save in fuel. There is no way to offset that $20,000 difference. So Ford has got to get the price down and they're not going to be competitive and they're not going to be able to get the price down if those battery shops end up unionized. But if pressure, well, what are they going to do? This is why I don't believe government should be in the job of investing our tax dollars. Because not always do things look like a sure bet. Obviously, it could mean nothing, or this could shape up to have quite the ramifications for the battery plant that's being built here in Kentucky. Well, coming up, a Fayette County School Board member issued a racial microaggression that he's had to apologize for. We'll cover that after this short break. So Fayette County School Board member Tom Jones opened up Monday's regular meeting uh, with an apology for something he said in a budget meeting four months ago. The comment, uh, which, <laughs> by the way, uh, Fayette County Schools has a equity council. And so, so that was criticized by the equity council as a racial migration microaggression, which according to CNN is a brief and commonplace verbal, behavioral, or environmental indignity. So what did he say during this budget meeting? That was a microaggression? That was racial, racist things to say? what did he say? Well, he said he didn't want anybody monkeying around with the budget. That's what he said. He said, guys, we need to get to work. We don't want to be here or, or we got to make sure nobody's monkeying around with the budget. We got to get this done. A common phrase. Stop monkeying around. We got to get to work. Something maybe you've heard of before or even said yourself. However, the fact that this is a common phrase that has no way a racial tinge to it did not stop Kevin Thompson, Thomas, sorry, Kevin Thomas, who's a member of the Orwellian Equity Council which once again is a part of the Fayette County school system, which is ridiculous that we're wasting our tax dollars. They're supposed to be funding education that are going to groups like the Equity Council, who apparently have made everything so equitable and they've searched out every major piece of racism in the entire school system that apparently exists that they were created to fight uh, and funded to fight. They, they've beat it all down. They've, they've accomplished it. We should disband the entire council because now they're focusing on things like microaggressions, like the phrase monkeying around with the budget. And that is the top of their concern. What, what a waste. What a waste. So what did Kevin say about Tom's comment? What did the equity council Kevin say about school board member Tom's comment? Well, he said that the phrase that otherwise harmless in the context of a public board meeting was inappropriate and may have been hurtful to some members of our community in the context of a public board meeting. May have been. We have an entire equity council. They can't even bother to find out if anyone is actually offended by that. Perhaps it's because we know it's absolutely ridiculous that anybody would be offended by that phrase. 
I mean, they, they say may have been offended. They don't go out and show the video to several people of what he said or read the transcript off in a normal voice, not a voice that can make anything sound awful. You, you know the voice I'm talking about. But in a normal voice said, hey, y'all, we better get to work. I don't want uh, to be monkeying around with the budget. We've got numbers to do, and these kids need to be educated. I don't know if that's exactly what he said. Probably not, but real close to it, probably. Close enough. So you read that off to somebody and say, is that hurtful to you? They didn't even bother to ask that. Why? Because they know the answer. It's not. It's absolutely ridiculous. But and, and, and to back that up, understand where the phrase monkeying around comes from. This is according to vocabulary.com. If you monkey around, you might do a few random tasks, but mostly you're just fooling around. The expression comes from the way monkeys play. They don't accomplish much, but they have a whole lot of fun. Do you hear any kind of racial tinge to that description from vocabulary.com? No, of course not. But oh, big old mean racist school board members use the word in a phrase that we all know talks about how monkeys behave and has nothing to do with race. But hey, he said it. So we better pull out the old pitchforks and yell at him until he apologizes. So did Tom Jones stand up and say, y'all, this is stupid. It's a waste of time and money. I'm no way a racist. This, this happened four months ago. Let's stop monkeying around now and get to the real work. Something that I would personally be applauding him for saying, because that would be some next level hilariousness. Um, but no, did he say what a person who would stand for the truth and stand up for themselves and of course be willing to stand up for what should what we should be doing, educating kids? No, instead, this is what he said at the meeting on Monday. He said, I take responsibility for and very much regret having misspoken in this way. Never has it been my intention to demean or degrade any persons. And while I take responsibility for my misstatement, it was in no way a racially inspired act, he said. Also, four months ago, I discussed this matter with two black leaders in our community. I offered my apologies to them. I've also, it's funny too. He's not even talking about two black leaders in our community that was in the meeting. He's just talking about two black leaders. So he went to the equity priests and, and made atonement there. And he goes, I've also issued apologies to the Fayette County staff member, Ronnie Jackson and Demetrius Liggins, uh, all parties who most gracious and accepted my apologies. Finally, if there's any other members of the community who are offended by my remark, I again offer my heartfelt apologies to you as well. I mean, look, is there real racism out there? Absolutely. And it's, uh, you know, it's, it's the same as when I talked about that Scott County incident. You're pe making people numb to the claims of racism. So when actual race, racist things occur, they don't react to them the way they should. It's like the boy who cried wolf. And the fact you even have a term racial microaggression for this type of instance is absolutely ridiculous. A term name, by the way, that hints at just how incredibly stupid this entire thing is. Because even the term in and of itself hints that it may not be that big of a deal because it's a microaggression. Not to mention the real problem here is that they said it was, he said it in the context of a public school board meeting with black people in the room. Perhaps if something is perfectly fine to say to a bunch of white people, but if one person walks in with the wrong skin color, wrong hue to them, and now suddenly the very same thing you're saying to a bunch of white people is now racist tells you just how maybe not racist it is.
I mean, do you think a bunch of KKK members in a room that are talking about what pieces of racist trash they are, are, are okay as long as a black person doesn't walk into the room? Is that the standard? No, of course, that would be stupid. A racist thing is racist no matter who is listening. And the fact that the, even the equity council said, well, it's because of who was in the room tells you who's in the room makes it racist. That tells you that the phrase in and of itself is clearly not racist. So what was the response? Well, because of Tom Jones saying the word monkeying around with the budget, the entire school board is now going to undergo an equity training. You know, like a sinner who first asked for forgiveness of his sins by going to the priest and asking for forgiveness. He did that already. He went to those two black community leaders, whomever that is. And they're now being offered up their penance. But instead of saying some prayers and Hail Marys, well, it's equity training for you. Go off to your equity training. I demand you take three classes of equity training for your uh, uh, aggressions for your sins against the religion of diversity, equity, and inclusion, the sin against the liberal religion, I demand you pin. And you do your, your, your repentance in the form of equity training in which you will take, most likely, because now the entire school board is going through it, because one guy said we got to stop monkeying around with the budget four months ago. They're going to take, likely, thousands of dollars and pay it to one of the high clerics of the DEI LGBTQ religion to come in and issue their penance, issue their punishment for them. So you got to pay your thousands, but don't worry, they're not really paying it. Of course, that's coming from taxpayer dollars. You know, money that should be going to, I don't know, teaching kids to do things like read and write and do math. You know, what schools are actually for, but instead we're going to take thousands of dollars to go ahead and make sure that these school board members, because one guy four months ago said we got to stop monkeying around with the budget. Because one guy four months ago said that. The entire school board must now pay for the sins of Tom Jones. Absolutely crazy world and time we're living in. Well, y'all, that's what we have time for today on the Andrew Kubrider Show. I thank you all so, so much for joining us. I hope you have a great rest of your day. We'll see you back here tomorrow at 1 o'clock. See you then.